everyone. You can see that we have a lot of fun at camp, right? It was great. One of the things that I thought was funny as I start my message and we're preaching and talking about the simple gospel, and we're in this series talking about Jesus Christ crucified and risen to set me free. This is our definition. Uh, one of our speakers, Amanda, uh, she, she's a great speaker, and she talked about this definition at camp, that the simple gospel is Jesus crucified and risen to set me free. And one of the middle school girls came up to her and said, Amanda, I think you stole that from Cheney Face Center. <laughs> and Amanda's like, what? She's like, I think you stole that from Cheney Face Center. She's like, this is Cheney Face Center's camp. And she's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's just hilarious. I loved it. Well, this morning, uh, I want to talk about uh, a big question that all of us ponder in our lifetime. In fact, every human being who's ever lived on the earth has pondered this question while they've been here. What happens after death? What happens? There's something interesting in our life. We, we all think this. We all wonder this. It's something that is in us, in our hearts, in our minds. It's eternity is in our soul. It's in our heart. We can't run away from it. And so we have ideas like, do, do I just decompose after death? Do I live somewhere else besides earth? Are the biblical truths about heaven and hell real and how do I get to one or the other or skip out on one or the other? Am I reincarnated? Do I become a cow later? I'm not sure. But this question is so important to humanity and something that we can't run away from that did you know every single people group who has ever been on this planet has tried to answer this question. Every single people group has their idea, their concept, their uh, belief about afterlife because we can't run away from it. And this morning, we're gonna talk about that because Romans 9, 10, and 11 talk about the promise of the gospel. And there's lots of promises about the gospel, but today we're gonna look at the promises in Romans chapter 10. And in chapter 10, this proverbial human question is answered and Paul will declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ saves you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is what you and I need for eternity. See, the number one truth that the simple gospel tells us is that the fate of our eternity is discovered in the gospel. It's discovered in the good news of Jesus. It's discovered in the personhood of our personal Savior, Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says we are saved, and eternal life is our reward for our belief. You'll remember that the word gospel means good news. That's the definition of this word. It means good news, and the good news about Jesus is that when we believe in him, we have eternity in him that our eternal life is secure and our eternal life is something that we will inherit for the rest of our life. Now, there's tons of promises that the gospel gives us. There's tons of promises built into this truth of the gospel, the belief and the living out of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I will have in our lives. The goodness of God and the blessings of God and everything wrapped up in scripture from the beginning to the end is all ours as we believe 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what we know and what we believe is that every good thing God has given us, he's paved the way for it and he's wanted for us and we see all of that and we experience all of the goodness of God in the simple gospel every day, in every decision we make, in every context and every complexity of life when we make Jesus Lord. Now, why is this fundamental truth important? Because God's been orchestrating it from the beginning to the end. This truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that God has been orchestrating from the very beginning, that he would save us, that he would set us free, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would help us get into eternity. Now, in chapter 10, Paul uses the example of what God was doing with the Israelites to illustrate this pondering for you and I. And he'll discuss the fact that everyone can be saved through Jesus Christ. Gentiles can be saved. Mean people can be saved. Sinners can be saved. Good people can be saved. You say, Pastor Mark, I thought good people were already saved. No, that's not true. People of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue can be saved. And the Bible says, we'll join us around the throne in heaven as we worship Jesus together. See, chapter 10 reveals several important promises of the gospel, and I want us to look at them this morning. So if you have your Bible with me, uh, open it to Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. I'm going to look at it from the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, I like some of the ways that uh, it processed some of the truths in this section, and so I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I'm going to start in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it was misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Now in the end, this is exactly what God was doing. He was making us right with him. He was paving the way. And I want to talk about three promises that we see in Romans 10. And the first promise of the gospel is this, that God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. Now, for several chapters, as you've been reading through Romans, you've probably noticed that Paul's been revealing this, and he's been telling us this. He's been over and over and over again communicating that God's way for our life is the best way. But verse 3 tells us something different. Verse 3 tells us that as humans, like the Israelites, we often think our way is better than God's way, don't we? Have you ever thought that before? Oh, none of you? Okay, that's good. I'm just talking to me. I'm gonna take this time during this point to just talk to me. So you don't check completely out, but sometimes I do this. In fact, a lot of times I do this. You probably do too, I'm sure. You just were embarrassed to raise your hand. I get it. Look at verse three. Verse three says this about the Israelites. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling 
to their own way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. See, the Israelites knew about God. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with him. They just thought if, if we obey the commands, that that will be good enough. In other words, they said, my way is better than God's way. And this is why God said salvation cannot be based on the law. It can't be based on what you do. It can't be based on you being good. It can't be, it can't be based on that. If it's based on that, we will always fail. And so God said, I'm going to make salvation, I'm going to make heaven based on something very, very easy, very, very simple, and that's Jesus. Not you, not this world, not anything else. The only thing that will save you is your faith in Jesus, your belief in Jesus, your confession of Jesus. Now, we do the same thing the Israelites did. We say, my way is better than God's way, don't we? How many of you remember Frank Sinatra's song? I did it my way, right? This whole life that I lived, I did it my way. I'll bet you he's not saying that now. He's probably not. Now he's saying, ooh, dang, I wish I'd have done it God's way. Because God's way was the best way. Now, throughout history, we as mankind have tried to make up our own ways of getting into eternity. And as I mentioned before, every people group has their own way, and we find holes in each of our own ways. And even in America, we have our own ways. And I want to talk about two this morning. We have lots in America, but I want to talk about two. Here, here are two ideas I hear a lot that are weaved into our cultural thinking as Americans. Here's the first one. That eternity is for people that do more good things than bad. Right? That's a prevalent thought. We have it in our culture. If I do more good things than bad things, then I'm a good person, and heaven is for good people. Let's break that right now. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for people who believe in Jesus Christ. Good or bad, doesn't matter. Heaven's not for good people. It's for bad people, because I'm bad, and you're bad, and we're all bad, and we need Jesus, amen? amen? Heaven's for bad people that said yes to Jesus. It's not for good people. In fact, the Bible's clear, none of us are good. Now, first of all, this idea that eternity is for people to do more good things than bad, let's just eat the elephant in the room. It's impossible to do more good things than bad. It just is. I mean, think about it for a minute. Every one of your thoughts, every thought, every action, every word, everything you look at, everything you listen to, on and on and on. If you're going to live this life in some city on this planet instead of on the top of Mount Everest, <laughs> you're going to struggle. <laughs> and you're not, your good is not going to outweigh your bad. And so if you continue to live life this way, that every morning I have to wake up and my good's got to outweigh my bad, you're going to live a very frustrated and guilt-ridden life as you try to do that every single day. But there's also some holes with that. For instance, what happens if I get ahead in my good things, right? So let's just say there is a count somewhere 
And I, here's what, here's what would happen. I'll just tell you what I would do. Let's say I was ahead in my good count by 25 things. Guess what I would naturally do? Do some bad things, <laughs> right? I would say, oh, I'm ahead on my good things, so I can do a couple bad things because I'm still good. And so I'd constantly be keeping this balance, but I'd continue to do bad things thinking that, I, oh, I'm still good because my good's outweighed my bad. That doesn't make much sense. What if I believe in Jesus late in life? What if I'm like 75 and I discover Jesus and I say, oh, Jesus is the way. This is awesome. I need to serve Jesus. But my entire life, I've been really bad. And I simply do not have enough time left to make up all of the good to outweigh my bad. I don't get to heaven? That doesn't sound like a good plan. That sounds like pretty awful. So that's a pretty big hole. What if my count is really close. Like it's really close, but um, I've only done two more bad things than good things. So my count's really close and I'm driving to work and I get in a car accident and I die. And I'm like, dang, I don't make it. But it's been my whole life. I'm only two off. That doesn't sound like a good plan. I don't think we want this plan, do we? When we when, if you start to think about it, you're like, there's a lot of holes in this plan. But we believe it. I hear it in songs and I see it in movies and in sitcoms and in TV shows and I hear it when people talk that I'm a good person because my good outweighs my bad. See, we, we need to be happy that God said uh, eternity's not gonna be based on this. I have a much better way. It's gonna be based on Jesus and your faith in him. Now here's another one. Eternity is for people that know about God not know God himself, not relationship with God, but know about God. So I've heard about him, and I know about him, and our country kind of uh, talks about God once in a blue moon, and so I know about God, so that must mean that I'm going to heaven, right? Nope. Now let me use a modern day example of this, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on country music for a minute. Is that okay? All right, so here's something that, because uh, we listen to country music once in a while, and, and um, this is one of the things that I hear in country music often. Most of the choruses of modern-day Christian music uh, say something like this. Can't wait for the weekend so I can drink on Friday and Saturday night, find a girl who will climb up in my truck and have sex with me on a back road, and then I'll go to church on Sunday morning. That's the modern-day chorus of a country music song. And you're like, wait a second. What you're saying is eternity is for people that know about God, but I get to do whatever else I want on every other day. Well, that, that can't be true either, right? Because we don't really want our model of Christian character and our model of Christian life to be this. See, this idea of trying to find eternity is my way, not God's way. I get to live my way however I want the rest of the week and on Sunday morning, I'll give that to God and I'll act like I'm doing it God's way for an hour while I go to church, but the rest of the week, I do it my way. That's not true either. But this is laced in everything. By the way, this idea, have you noticed, is in every mafia movie you ever watched. I'm the worst mafia guy in the world, but I went to Catholic church for a moment, went to the little booth, and I'm good now. <laughs> what? 
What in the world? You're like the worst person on our planet. <laughs> and now you think you're good because you know about God? No, no, no. That's not how it works either. See, God's way is the best way. And God's going to say, hey, I got a promise for you that is way better than anything you can think up, way better than anything you can come up with. In fact, my way is really, really helpful. And my way is about a real relationship that I want with you because I created you and I love you. And I want what's best for you while you live here and for eternity. And so here's my way. And then God reveals his way in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Will you look at it with me? See, the second promise of the gospel is that you can be 100% sure you're going to heaven. You don't have to wonder, is my good outweighing my bad? Do I know about God? I'm not really sure I know enough about God. Oh, when I die, what's really going to happen? You don't have to live in anxiety and worry about that. You can know 100% that you are going to heaven. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us how. It says simply this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You say, Pastor Mark, that is super simple. It is. That's super simple. All I have to do is put my faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ and openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. So how can I be 100% sure? It's simple. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Say, Pastor Mark, I've done that. Good, awesome. You can say, well, that's really easy. That's awesome and, and that's it. I'm good, right? I've punched my ticket. Well, actually, these verses are a little deeper and richer than you think. And we have to dig into them a little bit more to figure out what it really means. Now, the first idea is this. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, look at me at that phrase for a minute. When someone asks you if you are a Christian, what do you say? Yes, no, maybe, kinda. See, openly declare means I always say yes. And there is no doubt, there is no wondering. I openly declare it. But it's also interesting that Paul says, those who have made Jesus their Lord. It's interesting because Paul could have said, openly declare Jesus as your Savior, but that's not the word he used. He used a different word. He's been using the word Savior the entire book, but in this verse, he uses a different word. He uses the word Lord because he wants to communicate something different. The Holy Spirit wanted to communicate something different than just, I said yes, that he's my Savior. I also said that he's my Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word for Lord is, is, is the word kurios. 
It's different than the word Savior or the word Christ, Christos. Jesus is Lord means this word kurios, which means master, ruler, to exercise dominion over, authority, belonging to, king. This is a much deeper, richer, more powerful word. In fact, what, what the Holy Spirit is saying is that when we declare Jesus as Lord, it means that you've made him your master, that you have given him, Jesus Christ, ultimate authority in your life. You belong to him. He is your king. Jesus as Lord doesn't mean, I think Jesus is a nice guy. You know, most of the things Jesus said are cool, but some of the things I just make up on my own. I give Jesus Sunday morning and I live the rest of the week for myself. Well, Jesus gets uh, 45% of my life and I get the rest. And that's not what it means. Jesus as Lord means Jesus gets 100% of my life. It means Jesus is the most important person in my life. It means Jesus has ultimate authority in my life. Let me say one more, or a couple more, but this one's kind of important. It means that Jesus has veto power over everything in my life. Now let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> veto power. That means that when I'm making a decision that is not godly, and Jesus comes along and says, Mark, I want you to make a different decision. I am right in that moment going to find out if Jesus is Lord or not. Right in that moment. If Jesus comes to me and says, Mark, I don't want you to date that person. And I say, I don't want to date that person anyway. I declared my way, not God's way. If I'm sitting in front of the TV and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to change the channel. Right in that moment, I'm discovering whether Jesus is Lord or not. Does Jesus have the veto power over what I watch? Or do I say, no, I get to watch whatever I want to watch. If I'm watching a football game, and Jesus says, I want you to root for the team in red and gold. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus doesn't care about what football team you root for. And I mean that wholeheartedly. He really doesn't care. In this life, there are right things and wrong things, but it's not a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing, but not a spiritual thing. We'll have to talk about that later. But seriously, does Jesus have the veto power in your life? I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about the decisions you made this past week. If Jesus had told you to do something different, would you do it? See, that's what it means that Jesus is Lord. That I've given him everything in my life. I've devoted it to him. He has ultimate authority in my life. And if he wants to veto anything in my life, the answer is yes, Lord. 
That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler of my heart, my mind, my soul, my actions, my words, my money. Yes, I said money. My marriage, my home, my hobbies, my present, my future, everything. That's Jesus. That's Jesus is Lord. So is that easy? Uh Uh-uh. That's not easy. It's the simple gospel, but it's powerful to live out. Now, the next one is believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And you're probably like, yep, I believe that. Got that one. I'm good. I'm awesome. That's great. And our salvation is built upon Jesus coming back from the dead. We're saved when we believe this fact. But let's think about this for a minute. That can be a difficult fact to believe. For instance, raise your hand if you've seen anyone else come back from the dead. Anyone in your family? Nobody? Okay, let's broaden it. Any of your friends? No one? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard about anyone raising from the dead at any other point in all of human history besides Jesus. Really? A couple of you. That's good. Are they still alive or did they die again? They died again. Okay, there we go. So um, Jesus is the only one who came back to life and is still alive. Now, I've known a couple people that God brought back to life, but then they died again, right? Only Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, if we think about it simply, since this is the simple gospel, then it simply means that only a person who came back from the dead can make sure I don't die again so that I can have eternity. Now we're talking about spiritual matters here that are higher and way more important than physical things because everything physical is going to pass away anyway. So the only thing that matters is your spirit. Your body's going to be gone. It's going to decay in the ground. Your spirit is what lives for eternity because that's the real you anyway, what's on the inside. And only Jesus can save us because he died for the penalty of our sin and came back to life to save us from the power of sin. Now follow me for a second. This is really important. The penalty of sin is gone because of the cross. See, in the cross, you and I have complete forgiveness. It's Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? As you and I will stand before the judge, God the Father, we will be found not guilty because of Jesus Christ. So the penalty of our sin is gone because of the cross. But the power of sin is also gone because of Jesus' resurrection. See, the power of death can't hold me down. The power of death can't hold me in the grave anymore. Because Jesus' resurrection says I'm connected to his resurrection life that overcomes the power of death itself. So that when you and I believe in Jesus Christ, the power of death is broken in our life and we now have eternity in heaven as our future. We can be 100% sure we are going to heaven because we've put our faith in the one that gets us there. Now let me give you an illustration and an example of this. 
in the 1800s, when wagon trains were going west, people would travel to St. Louis or Kansas City or some other major city on the western side of the Mississippi River, and they would look for a guide that would take them to California or to Oregon or somewhere out west because it was not an easy journey. And so they're about to give all of the money that they have, everything they have to this guide to take them to Oregon or California. But before they do that, they, want, they ask them a question. And what's the question? Have you ever been to California or Oregon and back? And if the guide says no, what are they gonna do? Find another guide. <laughs> Until they find someone in town that has said, oh yes, I've done it a couple times. I've been to Oregon and back. I know how to get there. I know what we need. I know everything to get us there and back. And at that point, you're going to say, okay, I can trust this guy. Here's all my money. And a bunch of families pool all their money, and they're all going to give their money to this guy that's been there and back, and they're going to give it to him. Now, let me make the point here. Jesus left heaven, and he came to earth and died on a cross and rose again and went back to heaven. If you're looking for someone to get you to heaven, can I just tell you this morning, Jesus is the answer. If you're looking for someone to get you from here to there, there's only one person who has been there and back and back again, and his name is Jesus Christ. Everyone else that we have tried to make up in our human ideas has never been there and back again. They wouldn't even know how to get us there. In fact, they didn't even come back to life. They're still dead in a grave. And billions of people are believing their idea about how to get to heaven. And they've never been there and back again. Only Jesus has been there and back again. So if you're looking for a guide to get you to heaven, I would declare this morning, like Paul does, that Jesus is the only viable choice. The third promise of the gospel is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Man, this is good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at verse 11 with me. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect, for they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Oh man, there's some good stuff in this section. One of the things I just love about it is it reminds me that heaven is open to everyone. And everyone means 
Everyone. Now, I want you to think about some, someone for a minute, okay? I want you to think about someone just for a moment. I'm going to tell you who this someone is in just a minute. Well, you're going to think about this someone. So heaven is for everyone, and that means everyone. And I want you to think right now in your mind about the person that you hate the most. Heaven is open to that person. Did you know that? Now think about the worst person you can ever think of. Who's the most horrible person who's ever lived? And you think about that person. Heaven's open to that person. See, heaven is open to everyone. That's why Jesus died on the cross. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for him to die on the cross to not open the door to everyone. Heaven is open to everyone who will call on his name. Now that's the key, isn't it? Right? It's open to everyone, but you have to what? Call on his name. You have to say, Jesus is Lord, and I believe in him in my heart. I have to say, okay, I believe in Jesus. I have to call upon the name of the Lord. I have to say it. I have to admit that my way is not the best way. Jesus' way is the best way. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. And I need to live my entire life for him, however much of my life I have left. Now, Jesus mentioned this to a thief on the cross. He said, I know you've been a thief your entire life. And the government says, you're a horrible person. That's why you're on a cross next to me. And Jesus says what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he simply called upon Jesus. He called upon Jesus and he said, Jesus, can I please live in heaven with you when you and I are done on this cross? And Jesus said, yes. Because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul asks four really good questions about this idea in verse 14 and 15. Look at the four questions he asks. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? So there's got to be this belief that's happening. This believing that's happening needs to happen. How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them about him? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And then he declares this Old Testament verse, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Now I have one kind of last question for you. Do you have beautiful feet? Or do you have a crooked toe like I do? Seriously, I have a crooked toe. And when I was in high school, my two best friends used to take duct tape and try to tape it back down to the ground. And like, Mark, we need to fix your bad toe. Like, what? This is just, these are the dumb things you do when you're inside and it's 115 degrees outside and you're like, we're not going outside. These are the dumb things you do. You duct, people's, duct, tape, duct tape people's toes to the ground. But here's what the word says. That we need to be messengers of the good news. This is our role 
in the earth now. If everyone can be saved, then that means from the beginning to the end, heaven is open to everyone, but God is also looking for people that will be the messengers of that good news. And my challenge to you this morning is, will you be? Will you be a messenger of this good news? Will you be someone that tells people about Jesus because the reality is they'll never believe in Jesus until they what? Until they hear. They have to hear. And so there's seven to eight billion people on our planet and a lot of them have not heard. So it's up to us to tell people, to tell our neighbors and our family members and the people we work with the gospel with our words, with our actions, and how we support others to tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because everyone can be saved. And because everyone can be saved, then that means it's our role to help that happen in the earth. This is the gospel. Now let me throw down a quick challenge before we go. Do you give to this end? See, in the end, the reality is financially, we need to make this happen. If I'm gonna send someone to the other side of the earth or I'm gonna send someone to the campus at Eastern, financially, that has to happen. It has to work. I need a plane ticket. I need food. I need housing. I need These things need financial stability to make the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Now, we know that the power of the gospel is in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus. Amen? Amen. But it's up to us to help that person take Jesus somewhere, right? And to present that and to be trained in that and to be doing that. And so my question to you this morning is, do you financially give to someone sharing the gospel somewhere? Whether that's next door at Eastern, we support Eastern missionaries, we support missionaries on the other side of the world. But are you a part of that process? Are you part of that process of giving financially to help the gospel go to the ends of the earth? It's pretty simple. We have it on our website. You simply give to missions. You just start saying, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of being an extension of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I believe that everyone needs to hear this awesome message of Jesus. And so I want to be a part of that. So I want to just throw down a challenge this morning. If you're giving, that's awesome. But can I encourage you to give to missions as well? When we give to missions, we give And what we're believing when we give to missions is that I believe everyone on the planet, every people group, every person of every language needs to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to help fund that. I want to help see that happen. And I want to make sure that it happens. And I want to give to that end. This is the promise that Romans chapter 10 gives us about the simple gospel that God's way is the best way. That you can be 100% sure that you are going to heaven and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is our mission as a church, to help people know Jesus and live for him daily. This is who we are. 
This is why we exist. This is why we want relationship to happen in our church so that we can accomplish this goal, this mission of Jesus Christ together in Cheney and to the ends of the earth. That's why we put our map on the, on the commons wall and hopefully you've taken a red tack and you've placed it on the wall to say, I'm gonna be on mission right here. And I'm going to give to mission right here. Now, some of you, I noticed some of you put your tack like in the farthest corner of the wall, right? And I know what you're saying. You're saying, I'm giving to someone in Africa, right? I'm giving to someone that's living in Boston. Um, whatever. I, my, my heart and my money and my prayers are going to someone that is far off of that map on the wall. And that's awesome. And that's great, too. We need to be going next door and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And would you bow your head with me? This morning as we conclude, uh, I just want to ask the question. Because there might be someone watching online hearing this maybe a month or two from now, you just pick up this video and you watch it and you're like, man, this is something I need to do in my life. Or maybe you're right here in the room and you need to make a decision this morning. And your decision needs to be, I need to start, I need to start living my life God's way, not my way. I recognize that my way, <laughs> after hearing the truth, laid out in the Bible, that my way doesn't get me to heaven. Only God's way does. And I want to switch my thinking and my life and the trajectory of my life. And I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. And I want to choose life his way, not my way. And if you've never made that decision before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But I want you to do something physical to just show that so that you're showing that to God and you're showing that to yourself. And so I'm just going to ask you where you're at, just to raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to say, hey, I've been doing this my way, and I need to stop, and I need to do this God's way. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to openly declare my faith in Jesus right now, and I need to believe that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and I'll be saved. And I just want to give a moment here. If that's how you feel this morning, you want to believe in Jesus for the first time, just right where you're at, just raise your hand. Well, those of you that raise your hand this morning, I have good news for you. You can be 100% sure that you are saved as you believe in Jesus. As you change your life and you start to say, I'm going to do it God's way, not my way. Now, for all of us, um, I think there's something really important for us to just declare. Because... This is what Romans 10 talks about, declaring with my mouth. And I think it's something that we need to do often as the body of Christ. Just say, this is who I am. I declare that. And so I'm going to ask us to do that this morning together. To remind ourselves that this is who we are. And so I'm going to use the verse that we talked about, right? Romans 10, 9 and 10. And we're just going to declare 
this verse. And so I'm going to repeat Romans 10, 9, and I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me, okay? Just to declare that to yourself and to confess it again. And for those of you that raise your hand for the first time, this is your moment of saying yes to Jesus. So repeat after me. I will openly declare that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and that I am saved. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for what you do in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that this is not about what we do because we would never get it right. We've tried as humanity and we just always get it wrong. But you came that we might know the best way. And so thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you so much that you came here. You left heaven and you came here and you went back again so that we could be 100% sure that when we die here, you know the way to get us to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to pray that you would help us to make you Lord. Would we give you everything in our lives? Help us to say yes to you every single moment of our day. To say, I'm living for Jesus every single day. That's who I am. I am a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm living for Jesus best I can today. Lord, would you help us with that? Would you empower us with your Holy Spirit to do that? And Lord, would you help us to be on mission for Jesus Christ? We would say yes to the gospel, that we would say yes to being a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in our home, to our neighbors, to the people we work for and with, and to the ends of the earth, that everyone would have an opportunity to call on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, would you help each of us to be about that? And would you speak to our lives about how to make that happen every day, all day. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 10, 9 is a good verse, isn't it? There's a lot there, and it's a good verse. Well, thanks for coming to Teeny Face Center this morning. It was great to see.